Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills the marketeers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow, to ensure marketeers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. podcast is an area of personal understanding. It's dealing with difficult conversations. And shortly, I'll welcome today's guest onto the podcast, Anne-Marie Barlow. But before I do, let me tell you why I believe difficult conversations to be such an important topic. As marketers, our roles weigh heavily on our need to work collaboratively with others to ensure we have positive ways of working and working relationships with others. In order to achieve the vision and goals for our brands or businesses, we need to be able to work within cross-functional teams, often with different internal and external stakeholders, as well as with our own team members and direct reports. These conversations or working relationships at time can be challenging. From time to time, we may find ourselves having to face into difficult situations and therefore difficult conversations. No two difficult conversations are the same, whether it's around providing feedback for an employee on their performance, feedback on a service or the service provided, redundancy, managing conflict or something else. All of these have one thing in common, the need to identify and face into that conversation to address these issues and find a solution that works for both parties. These conversations can often be filled with anxiety and can be found by many to be quite stressful for all of those involved. So I thought today's podcast with Anne-Marie Barlow would be useful to be able to think about how we might approach upcoming difficult conversations to feel more empowered as we go into them. Today's guest is Anne-Marie founder of the Energized Development. After leading complex change projects and at times an employee feeling frustrated by the endless change programs, Anne-Marie branched out on her own to help improve the world of work. Anne-Marie now works across a variety of different sectors, helping leaders and organizations to lead change. This ranges from supporting organizations to improve organizational culture, coaching leaders to feel confident leading that change, and helping connect employees to changes ahead in a meaningful way. You'll find Anne-Marie regularly sharing free resources on her LinkedIn page on leadership, culture, and organizational change, which I love. So Anne-Marie, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. I love all of your content on LinkedIn, so I'm really excited to have you with us today. And today's big juicy topic is one that actually I get asked about quite a lot, which is difficult conversations. So the question to you is, what are difficult conversations to you? Oh, to me. Actually, that's a really good point because I think it means a different thing for lots of people. So for me, I think difficult conversations are important conversations. And layered on top of that, they're important conversations that tend to require a bit of a sprinkle of vulnerability. And what, if anything, do you think are the most common important conversations Mm -hmm. that we end up having? Okay, so I think from a personal perspective, it tends to be around boundaries. So I can't do something, I don't want to do something, but I don't want to let you down, or I don't want you to judge me, or I don't want to be seen as something that I'm not. So I think from a personal perspective, when I speak with leaders, coaching clients, colleagues, that tends to be the thing that comes up when it's around me as a human being. And then I think in the working environment, it tends to be more around performance related conversations or owning 
seeing something that we've got wrong. So when I think about when I'm designing my content, I try and really get in the heads of people that are perhaps feeling a bit like an imposter and they're putting on a, I guess, a bit of a front that there's something that they really want to be or think they should be because the working environment kind of nudges them that way. And, you know, my background is the public sector and I know growing up essentially in the public sector that the Amory that started when she was 17 and the Amory that left when she was however many years ago it was 30 something it's a very different person and part of that's been shaped by organizational culture and what I believed people expected of me and that's not uncommon actually to the theme that I see in the marketing profession which is in the coaching capacity that conflict within people around the leader that Mm. they are expected to be because of the culture or maybe because of the leaders that have gone before them or are still there with the person that they want to authentically be and that conflict that happens. And I think it is really important that we define our own leadership style that is authentic to us, you know, based on our values, who we are, how we want to show up, the legacy that we want to leave behind. Absolutely. And if I could just go back a second also to the point you made around boundaries. Mm -hmm. This is actually a really personal one for me as well, Anne-Marie, because I almost in the reflections that I had from last year that I want to get better at, which is setting boundaries. One of my natural drivers is a people pleaser. So, mm-hmm. you know, the second that someone says, I want you to help or can you help? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. And sometimes don't always take a step back and kind of go, right, is this the right project for me? Can I add a value? Do I want to do it? You know, all of those mm-hmm. things and setting better boundaries. And what I've also seen when I've been sharing this with people in my network is they have said, this younger generation are so good at setting boundaries that we could almost learn a thing or two from them. What do you think has happened or evolved where we've got a generation, and I don't want to broad sweep, but Mm. a cluster of humans that are not very good at setting boundaries and also a cluster of human beings that are? What do you think's happened there? That's so interesting. And I'll own this completely. I'm with you. I'm a massive people pleaser. You know, I'm definitely driven by that. So I would say one of the things that's helped me over the years is to really think about what emotion is driving my behavior. So for me to be a people pleaser, what is the emotion that sits behind that? Is it the need to be appreciated, the need to feel like I'm good enough? Is it because I'm scared? Is it because, you know, I really feel a sense of happiness when I'm pleasing somebody else or serving somebody else? And I think There's something about recognizing the difference between being someone that actually enjoys being in service of something. And that's something that is naturally something that drives you versus I'm doing it for other people. And I think that's the fine line, isn't it? Between I'm doing it because actually this gives me lots of pleasure within some boundaries here, or I'm doing it because I need to feel like I'm good enough. So that's the first thing I think that I've definitely worked on when it comes to people pleasing and something that's definitely still work in progress. And then when I think about the generational dynamics, I guess one of my observations is that what we want from work is different. I think as a millennial, I've kind of seen and and, and working in the public sector. When I started in the public sector, I didn't really have lots of young peers around me. It wasn't a very dynamic environment. And so thinking of Anne-Marie then was Anne-Marie that wanted to work in a working environment that was interesting for me or wasn't overly bureaucratic when that's something that really was a big thing and probably still is in lots of areas sometimes in the public sector. So I think it's what we see ahead of us and the behaviours and the interactions that we see maybe out of the generations that go before us and our bosses and think, actually, I really don't want to be like that, or I want to do a better job than that. So I guess it's something about where we want to 
see ourselves in the next iteration of what the workforce looks like. I think that's a great point. And it feels like there's two themes there. I think there's a theme around the role that we want work to play in our lives as a whole. Yes. And that generationally potentially being different, but not just generationally, I guess, life stage. As we know, as a result of the pandemic, a lot of evaluation from people around the role that they want work to play in their life as a whole. And then there's also our want to make the workplace better, having experienced maybe something that wasn't that positive. So there's a breaking the cycle element. And then I think there's maybe the convergence of those two things. So the role of work and what it plays for different human beings versus how we want work to be for us and for different human beings as well. I love this. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm totally with you on that. If we think not, I guess it's difficult, isn't it? Some of us don't want to talk about the pandemic anymore. Some of us, whatever. But I think for me, I started the pandemic moving into my own business. And I think what drove me before was status. It was a really good job title and and an amazing salary and all these other things. Whereas now, actually, what I want for my business is to be able to work really hard in the winter and take some time off in the summer because I live in a beautiful place and I like making the most of that. So I think we're all getting to grips with "Mm, what does work mean for me now? And I don't know if we're going to resolve that in perhaps the time period that the pandemic was here versus maybe it's going to take years for us to figure that out. I don't know. I think you're right. And I think potentially those maybe new boundaries that people are setting because of their clarity around the role that they want work to play and Mm -hmm. a little bit of acknowledging the need to break the cycle because the benefits that some of that breaking the cycle had during the pandemic is maybe creating some of those difficult conversations. People Mm. are almost having to set some boundaries Mm. to actualize what they want. And the person maybe being on the receiving end of the boundaries being set and the conflict between Mm. the two. Question ponder, question ponder. (laughs) So we've spoken about, you know, the most common difficult conversations Mm. around boundaries, around kind of performance in the workplace, differences of opinion, being common difficult conversations. For anyone that's about to embark on difficult conversation, what advice would you give? So I think the big lesson that I learned over the years was around armour. And that's something that Brene Brown talks about in, I think it's her Dare to Lead book. So she talks about armour as a form of self-protection when we're afraid. And if I think back to difficult conversations that I've had in the past that haven't gone very well and difficult conversations I'll have in the future that might not go very well, it's generally been around when I've come really armoured up. So I remember I was in my last role before I moved into self-employed and I'd taken through lots of organizational change I was really fortunate kind of my career had rocketed and I'd gone from quite a junior level to a senior manager level quite quickly and I was massively feeling that imposter feeling I had lots of things that I hadn't really worked through personally at that time and and really it took for me to go out on my own to work through that stuff but I remember having a conversation with somebody who reported to me and we'd had this thing bubbling up for a while where we weren't really agreeing on the direction of where this service was going. And she said to me one day, Amory, I'm really struggling to work with you. And I burst into tears.
is. And I said to her, me too, I'm really struggling with this working relationship and I've never had anything like this before. And I don't know where to go with this anymore, but I know I don't want to feel like this anymore. And initially I was thinking, I've reached the end of the line here. You know, I've completely exposed myself to somebody who I didn't know I could trust or not because we hadn't really formed a proper working relationship. I was her boss. I was her big boss. There were sorts of expectations I'd put on myself living in the shadow of other senior leaders who were very different to me, who were, you know, a different generation to me. And she said, thank you. And she said, Amory, I thought you had no emotion in you. And anybody who knows me will know that I'm somebody that's really open and open-minded and curious in my thinking. And I have presented myself from day one with this person as emotionless and hard because I thought that's who I needed to be to protect myself. So I really learned that armor lesson in a really deep and dark place, but it's stuck with me ever since. And that person, you know, when we stopped working together, we had a really lovely conversation. We reflected on lots of things and it felt like, do you know what? It was so worth going to that deep and dark place because that person hasn't walked away thinking that I'm some emotionless slug. So taking that armor thing and laying that and building on that, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about when I'm looking at different products that I want to be launching in the next couple of years is thinking about leaders in change. And and I was doing some research the other day, and there's some really interesting research around the more authentic you show up as a leader, the more likely people are to follow you. And because a lot of my work is in organizational change, that's a really strong message that I need to keep nudging and communicating with my clients. But it really made me think that's really true because I've experienced that. I was the most inauthentic version of me in that relationship dynamic and it didn't work. And I know why it didn't work. So I had to take my armor off and really think about how can I show up authentically with boundaries, because I don't want to be leaking every version of me everywhere, but I needed to show up as a human and I wasn't doing that in that scenario. And that resonates massively with me and two of the key skills that I have actually in the whole marketer book around being human and being authentic. Because as you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of these conversations are ones that mean that you will have to be vulnerable in your case, Mm -hmm. taking the armory off so that you can show your true authentic self. But we know psychologically that's when relationships are built or at moments of vulnerability. So it's reassuring to hear that not only do you agree, but also that actually it's one of the key ways in which to approach those difficult conversations, which is sometimes you don't even know how you're going to solve this issue, shall we say, but actually showing that you are struggling with it will help in that difficult conversation. Absolutely. So what else would you recommend in somebody else preparing for a difficult conversation? Okay, yes. So thinking about the arbor and then thinking about how can I invite the person I'm having a difficult conversation with to be a thinking partner in this conversation. So I came from a project management background before I moved into HR stuff. And so I would really over-prepare for a difficult conversation. And what I had to really accept was, and this was a long journey, was that I couldn't control that conversation. And that conversation isn't about me proving an assumption. Because if I go in with that headspace of, I'm here to tell you a message and deliver a message, and you're here to hear it, and you're here to admit guilt that's not going to help anybody because essentially that's just giving someone a big old telling off, isn't it? That's not really moving forward or working through what's going on, what's under the surface that's causing perhaps an underperformance issue. So I think one of the things I've really had to focus on 
is understanding that I'm one person in that conversation. And so something that helped me a year or two ago was when I was a contractor and I was an interim. So I was there for a little while. I was managing a team and we had a capacity issue. We didn't have enough people to do the stuff that we needed to do at pace. So we had to bring in another contractor. And to cut a really long story short, we weren't getting, or I didn't feel I was getting what I needed from this contractor. And in the public sector, there's, you know, obviously lots of scrutiny around paying for externals to come in and do a piece of work. So I was really passionate that if I had to bring somebody in, I really needed to get value for money. And I didn't feel like I was getting it at that point. And so I did lots of thinking about this conversation. And essentially, from a contract, pure contract perspective, I could have let that person go with a day's notice or a week's notice. So I could also probably have asked the HR colleague to do that for me. If I didn't think it was working out, I could make a really quick decision and legally be okay with that to a certain degree. But I really thought, actually, as a contractor myself, I want to have this honest conversation with this person and give them an opportunity to let me know what's going on and how we can turn this around. And I started the conversation by saying, I need to have a conversation with you about this project. Here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what I think is a positive outcome from our conversation. I need reassurance that this is going to deliver in the way that I need it to be delivered because of all the stakeholder work that I've been doing in the past with this organization. And then I said to her, what would a positive outcome be for you from this conversation? And that was a real moment for us because I think she thought she was being let go, if I'm really honest. And just to start that conversation as equals and me saying, I need something from this for us to work through this conversation. But I really want us to do this together. I don't know how we're going to end up. I don't know what this next hour, where it's going to take us, but I need to know that something's going to change. And I really want to hear how you think we can do this. And it completely changed. It completely changed the dynamic, but also it created the conditions for us to kind of move into a really easy conversation about what this project needed to be, rather than us dancing around something that felt tricky for me, but also for this person, maybe there was a bit of that imposter going on too. You know, I'm here for a defined period to deliver something. I want to do it in the way that I think is best, but perhaps I'm not communicating as I'd like to be. So I think that's the other thing in a nutshell is to think about how you can create the conditions for the other person to feel like a partner in the conversation. That's a great piece of advice. And just listening to those few examples that you gave mm. there of your own personal examples, which is lovely for you to share. So thank you. You're welcome. You had different scenarios. So you had one where you've called a meeting so mm-hmm. that person knows something's going to go down in the nicest possible way versus somebody else who's caught you off guard and gone, mm. I just don't know how I'm going to work with you. And, you know, it resulted in tears. Do you have any advice around what works best? Because my gut's telling me a scheduled mm. meeting where we know an adequate time and an environment that is on common ground that we can sit and have this discussion. But it's also making me think that I'd feel quite nervous if I knew that was in my diary and I was kind of, oh, something's been been put in and now I need to prepare for it or I feel like I need to prepare for it. And I'm not, me personally, I know I wouldn't sleep before it either. So what would you say is the right kind of conditions that you need to create? I can only speak from my own experience, but in that particular scenario, once I knew I needed to have the conversation, it was the next day. It was as soon as we could have the conversation, we were going to have it. And I think I might have sent her a Teams message. I think we were working in Teams at the time. And I'd said, look, I'm a bit worried about where this project's going. I'd really like us to have a conversation about it. Are you around tomorrow for us to have a chat? So I tried to give her some indication as to where my head was at, but also I didn't want it to land cold. So I tried to warm it up as much as I could in that 
here's where my head's at. Can we have a chat? And I can't say I've always got it right. And I can't say I always will get it right. But I think I can only really go from the lessons that I've learned. And when, mm. when I was that cold, hard, senior leader, be what you think everyone needs you to be, Amory. It just didn't work for me. So loosen up a bit. But again, that's with boundaries. I can't be everybody's friend too. And that's a journey that we all, I guess, have to go on when you move into different roles is that you need to be authentic, but you also need to have boundaries to protect yourself too, so that you're not creating a confusing environment for people. You know, oh, it's fun, Anne-Marie, but also where's the environment for Anne-Marie to have a tough conversation when she needs to? How can I not confuse people, I guess, with how I show up? I think that's a really good point, actually, about the confusion it may create. And we are all different people in different environments and in different constellations, as we call it in coaching. You know, Mm -hmm. we are. But I think it's also a good reminder that if, to your point, you're the fun Anne-Marie one day and then you're having to have those hard conversations the other day, how do you show up in a way that feels authentic to you, has a degree of vulnerability Mm -hmm. in it so that you can make Mm -hmm. those connections, but also still allows you the scope to not have the confusion but also to be able to flex on your spectrum as well. And it reminds me of a time I was giving a talk at the marketing festival and somebody in the audience said, I have a real difficulty in sharing, sharing openly to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. with my team. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I remember the advice I gave back, which was almost like define on a scale of one to 10, how vulnerable you want to be in the workplace or how comfortable Mm -hmm. you feel and what you would share in that space so that you almost have the headspace just as we define our leadership style, but also the degree that you feel comfortable sharing. And it also reminds me of an earlier podcast we did in Belonging, which is that it is about creating an environment that is psychologically safe for people to share. But the second mm-hmm. bit that really made me rethink was if they want to. Absolutely. And, and not everybody wants to, and not everyone feels comfortable in that. But there's also an element that they have to appreciate a little bit of sharing of vulnerability in that softer side will help you make better relationships or form and build better relationships. But also you don't want to do it so much so that you then left feeling vulnerable and have, as to the words of Brene Brown, a vulnerability hangover afterwards either. Yeah, completely. I think you're spot on there. It's that balance between what feels like you're not going to wake up the next day and think, what did I say? You know, what does that mean? So I know I'm an open person. That's actually, it's harder for me because it's harder to know when to rein it in sometimes. So I think you have to really understand your shadow. And what I mean by shadow is the strengths that are overplayed when you're under pressure. So me being open when I'm under pressure actually could be Anne-Marie has no filter or Anne-Marie doesn't know how to find the appropriate place to leak her wobbles or frustration or I know one of my strengths is a sense of fun so that's great when we need a bit of a breather and we need to create a creative environment or something like that but when it comes to actually work isn't all about having fun all of the time so I have to really manage that it's creative when it's working for me but actually it can be chaos when it's not. So I think if I could give anybody advice about anything to do with workplace reputation and showing up as authentically as possible, I think you really need to sit and understand your shadow side as much as possible. So really think about your strengths, but think about what happens when they tip into derailers for me and how will I know that they've tipped in as a derailer for me? Oh, I like that, derailers. So you were just talking about your shadow side. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? 
so I think it's something that's much easier, I guess, in a coaching environment because you get that headspace that you don't always get when you're flying between meetings or deep in your inbox. But for me, taking some time out to remain curious, not only about the person that you perhaps might be your reputation, but also stay curious when it comes to having these conversations that might feel challenging for you. So it's really easy for me to make an assumption like I might have done back in one of those conversations that we're just not gelling or this project isn't going where I need it to go. Actually, if I'm just there to prove that assumption, it's me delivering a message. It's one way. So I think there's something that is really important to think about. Yes, understanding our shadow side, but also giving people some space and accepting other people have a shadow side too. So what strengths are being overplayed in that person that we can pull on in that conversation? If this is about performance, how can we not give them a shit sandwich, you know, because nobody wants that, but how can we help balance? I need to fix something with... I'm seeing some strengths here that I love in you, but they're being overplayed to an extent that they're not working for us. And how do we work back from that? Okay. So there's an opportunity to reframe it, but not do the classic shit sandwich. No. Yeah. I heard someone give a quote. I think it was a meme once that said something like, everything before, everything before, however, didn't count. So actually just get to it. Just get to what you've got to say. And I like the way that you've shadow sided that because most people's strength when played or overplayed will also be their limitations or the thing that flexes. And it's bringing it back to the appreciation of what is the strength of that and bringing back some awareness to them that may help in those difficult conversations and in those working relationships. Absolutely. And I love that because let's face it, when we've been on the other end of those conversations, we just want them to get to the point, you know, because we're making it up in our head anyway. It's probably a more extreme version of what the feedback is. So you'd much rather someone just let you know what it is that's in their heads. So yeah, absolutely stick into being clear, but also matching that with here's when I see this as a strength and here's when I see when it's overplayed. Let's figure out how we can find that balance. Lovely. Really lovely piece of advice. So Anne-Marie, thank you so much for all the advice and sharing so openly and honestly on today's podcast. We've got almost a checklist to help us now through difficult conversations that we may have ahead of us, we're going to have to face into in the coming days or that may come ahead in the future. From thinking about the environment, thinking about how you communicate the want to have a difficult conversation, ensuring that you have the right conditions to have that conversation, that you take your armory off and there's a degree of vulnerability while staying curious from their perspective, trying not to make assumptions and using that shadow self tool. So just thank you so much for everything that you've shared so far. You are welcome. It feels a little bit unfair to ask the final question when you've given us so much advice, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What one piece of advice would you give for marketers of tomorrow? So I really thought about this one and I really love this book called Think Again by Adam Grant. And In that book, he talks about thinking like a scientist. And I think if everybody could take that piece of advice, it would be so powerful. So what he talks about is scientists are humble. They don't fixate on one theory or they think their work is done once they've discovered something. They stay curious and they experiment with that. They challenge their own assumptions. They're trying to disprove the thing that they think they've proved because their work's never done until they've really explored in depth what they're trying to research or create or whatever. And I think whether it's a difficult conversation, whether it's anything at work, if we can encourage ourselves to think a bit more like 
like a scientist and just take some of that emotional stuff where we don't necessarily work in facts, we work with emotions. If we can just encourage ourselves sometimes to think like a scientist, I think the world of work might be a happier place. That's a great piece of advice. Think more like a scientist. So thank you again for your time on today's podcast. You are very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Abby. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com. Thank you.